someone asked the question, why do we sing? When we lift our hands to Jesus, what do we really mean? Someone may be wondering when we sing our song. At times we may be crying, and nothing's even wrong. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes are on the sparrow. This is the reason why I sing. Glory, hallelujah. You're the reason why I sing. Welcome, church. We're in the series on the the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and worship, spirit-filled worship. And our big idea for this morning, the thing that I want you to take away and know is that true spirit-filled worship comes from a recognition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I've prepped and planned for this sermon this morning, I begin to write and think about all the things that I want to say and communicate. And any time that I started writing, I would run off in tangents as I understood deeper and deeper the, the gospel and the truth about what Jesus has done for us, what he has done for the world, what he's done for you. And it, it made writing this sermon this morning, uh, to be totally honest and transparent, really difficult. Because <laughs> um, there, there's so many things that I want to articulate and share and be excited and, and uh, communicate to you. And it's also difficult that you guys aren't here uh, with us. But again, welcome, uh, albeit virtually. Good news about the work of Jesus Christ motivates us and invigorates us. And that is what it does for our worship. The Holy Spirit speaks to remind us of this truth. The truth is what informs our worship, the truth of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that we were the lost, and because sin had entered into the world, everything that was good and right was affected by the brokenness of sin. So God, in his mercy, sent Jesus so that he can reconcile, which is make right the relationship between the believer and between God. This was a gift of grace that has been extended to us, and grace for those is is getting what we don't deserve. And there's nothing that we can do to earn this grace, Paul says, so that no man can boast. None of us can earn this grace. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we talk this morning about spirit-filled worship, um, our main text is going to come from John 4, 19 through 24. But um, I will tell you now is that we're going to be bouncing around uh, the scriptures in part, um, and we're going to be dropping in phrases. And I'm going to commit to do my best not to run off on tangents on you guys. But again, like I, like I said, when I think about the goodness of the Lord, and I think about how that informs and infects my worship, it's really hard to stay on script. So you guys pray for me. In that, let's turn to John 4, 19 through 24. The word of the Lord says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Some of the main questions that I would want us to wrestle with this morning and reflect on this morning is what prohibits me from worshiping God in spirit and truth? Also, what is the Holy Spirit's role in my worship? And lastly, what does it look like for me to practice worshiping in spirit and truth? What does it look like for my community to worship God in spirit and truth? What prohibits me? What is the Holy Spirit's role in our worship? And what does it look like to practice worshiping in spirit and truth? Our definition of, of worship, what, what's been helpful for me to frame this up, is that worship is homage rendered to God, which is sinful to render to any created being. Worship is homage or special honor or respect rendered to God, which is sinful to render to any created being. When you think about the second half of the passage where Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We're, we're called to pay homage to God, to respect him, uh, to, to in, in a special honor, uh, special public way uh, to proclaim the goodness and greatness of God. There's an article in the Gospel Coalition uh, called What Does It Mean to Worship God in Spirit and Truth, which was, uh, to be honest, really helpful in preparation. And there are a couple of highlights that I want to point out from this article. The first is that uh, they say uh, that we must worship God in spirit means, amongst other things, that it must originate from within, from the heart. It must be sincere, motivated by our love for God and the gratitude for all he's done. It also says it's the Holy Spirit who awakens in us an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. And lastly, worship is not meant to be formed by what feels good, but by the light of what's true. So as you hear that, consider these questions. And I ask these, and I would you know, really ask that, that you consider this and, and don't see it or don't hear it as an opportunity to where I'm attacking. Don't, don't see it as an opportunity to get defensive, but really consider this. Do you love God? Do you feel gratitude for what he's done for you? Do you see the beauty and splendor and power of God? Do you know what's true? I think one of the first problems uh, that prohibit our worship to God is that the answers to those questions, when we're honest with ourselves, is no. As we come and worship on a Sunday, as we gather together in MCs, as we have quiet time with God, as we think about these questions, do we really love him? Are, are we really in a space to have our hearts open to him? The answer is no. The other problem is that our loyalties are not to God. And that's what's causing us not to see God as wonderful or beautiful or lovely or a helper or a father or a comforter. Jesus says this in Matthew, that no one can serve two masters, for either, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So these loyalties, if our loyalties are not to God, they prevent us from having true spirit-filled worship to God. And these loyalties come in a myriad of ways. There's loyalties to our schedules, 
loyalties to our comforts, loyalties to our self-righteousness. And what that could look like is as we gather together and you start to see the clock moving past the hour mark or past the the hour and 30-minute mark, you're already thinking about what's to come next. We have this space carved out on Sunday. We have this space carved out throughout the week where we can gather together and remind each other of the goodness and the greatness of God. And instead of doing that, we're thinking about anything else and everything else because our hearts aren't here. Growing up, before we would worship, before we would start church, um, the uh, mothers of the church, they would pray over the services and they would say, hey, we, we want the Lord to to be here, to be present here. We want to invite the Holy Spirit. We want the atmosphere to be set for worship. So as we come, as we come to worship God, that we're not bringing all of the things from from the week to distract us, that we're coming fully ready to experience God. And so often throughout um, the weeks and throughout our times, we fail to do that. And because of that, what prevents us, a lot of our loyalties aren't there with God. We're serving other things. If not um, functionally, then with our hearts, we're serving other things. The last problem we'll call is that we're just disappointed with God. We're disappointed with God. It's not lost on me the moment that we're in a pandemic. People are experiencing loss on, on levels that are unprecedented. There's death, there's injustice, there's disappointments, there's missed expectations. And when I step this high, I acknowledge that all of that is real. All right, there's, a, there's a book of lamentations. There, there are lamentations in the Psalms. There are people all throughout the Bible who have cried out to God because of the pain and the brokenness that they feel in this world. And in this moment, a lot of us are just disappointed and tired and weary. And because of that, we lose sight of God's goodness in this moment. Not to push past that, but I want to call us to the examples um, of, of real folks that are in the Bible for us as we think about Job on, on the very recent news of losing everything, children that he woke up every day and offered sacrifices for just in case they sinned, hearing that they had perished, that he had lost um, things that were so precious to him. His wife comes and says, aren't you going to curse God? And he says, why would I curse God? Why would I accept the good from God and not the bad also? Job would also go on to say that though God slays me, yet will I trust in him. He continued to honor and trust God in the midst of difficulty. Like I said, there's a whole book of lamentations where people are are seeing and experiencing the wrath of God being poured out for, for things that happened generations, generations ago on the innocent, on people that uh, may have not committed that sin, but it was still being poured out on them. And in the middle of Lamentations, there's a passage where, where the, the writers are calling and re- recalling that the Lord's mercy is everlasting, that his steadfast love endures. In the midst of, of, of great suffering and, and just crying out, and then the book doesn't end there. It continues, and they continue to lament. And Paul, we we see who's being tempted and pleading with God. Three times he says, pleading with God, take this from me. Realizes that his grace is sufficient, that in his weakness, 
there is strength because God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I would say to us, um, to those who feel disappointed, and that is a block or barrier for seeing God as good to, to acknowledge, but then also you can cry out to God and God's going to hear you. That God says he has never leave you. God has never forsaken you. God draws near to the brokenhearted. So we need to acknowledge and assess our relationship with God and where we are in each of those camps. Are, are we not feeling a love of God? Are we not feeling that, that he is beautiful and wonderful? Are our loyalties split and we're serving a different master? Or are we just flat out disappointed? Are we flat out weary and we can't see God as beautiful and wonderful? One of the things that we, we need to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is set up to comfort us in these moments. The Holy Spirit, the reason why he came is to comfort and convict, to speak truth. We see that um, in John, and we'll turn here in a second. But before, I'm going to talk, talk, talk about uh, two people or two camps that you can find yourself in. Um, as you think about and approach the Holy Spirit role in, in worship, there's uh, the first person really settling and wrestling with what we just talked about, all the different problems and the anxieties and the struggles, the brokenness of the world. Like that might be you this morning. So as you even prepare to turn on um, the, the video, uh, there's still pandemonium in the house. Kids are running crazy. Your phone's going off. There's distractions everywhere. Um, you, know, you, you might feel not prepared to worship the Lord. And then on the other side, there may be folks that are ready, that, that hearts have been moved and uh, understand what God has done personally and specifically for them to meet their needs. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's working in both and ready to work in both groups this morning. So as we look at John 16, um, 7 through, through 19, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come, the Helper being the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you for the things that are to come. He will glorify me for the things, for he will take away what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit's role is to convict concerning sin, concerning unbelief, concerning unrighteousness, concerning judgment. So as the Holy Spirit is working in us and the Holy Spirit is given to us, um, we can respond uh, to that truth. Right? We can be honest about what's going on. We can be honest about um, our lack of dependency on God. We can be honest about our loyalties being other places. We can be honest about the disappointment that we feel and the tiredness that we feel in this, these moments and not just try to jump over that to worship to check a box on Sunday, to check a box in, in our quiet times and in our small groups. Well, it says that in John, 1 John, that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And, and that's that work that the Holy Spirit is doing in revealing that this is sin. This is um, well, what's keeping us, what's driving a barrier between us and God. And if we don't acknowledge that, the Bible says that we won't have fellowship with Christ. But, but if we do and when we do, there is, there is uh, faithfulness, there is justice to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we talked before about the good news of Jesus, like that's the good news, that, that Jesus had, had come and died a death that, that we deserve to die, but we can never die. That Jesus was perfect. He lived this perfect life for us, um, only to be crucified, only to rise again, to conquer hell and death, and to create a path for us to be reconciled again with God so that when we sin, when we sin, we don't have to, we don't have to sacrifice ourselves, right? Jesus has already done that for us. And because of that, we can worship. And because of that, um, we can have fellowship with God and it can be right and good and amazing. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal in us that um, we have sinned. We need the Holy Spirit in the same way to reveal in us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've been going over the last couple of months with all the injustice and, you know, really over the last years, um, uh, doing a historical dive into the, um, just the systems of America, particularly um, uh, the black black slavery uh, that happened in the South that that perpetuated throughout our country. You talk about um, the Great Migration where folks who, who are looking to escape the Jim Crow South and look for freedom and liberation all throughout America, only to be met with the same systems of injustice and the same perils of brokenness and sin. And in these studies and as I read and, and talk with folks, you come across the church and, and namely the black church in these moments and how in slavery... Uh, these people were, were crying out to God. This is the same uh, Bible that their slave masters had that they would use to oppress them. They would take that same Bible and they would cry out to God. They would, they would grow in their faith um, to, to God and, and they would seek and cry out for liberation. Uh, and they would see, there's a story that I was reading about um, a slave who was brought over on a slip who became a free man became a free man, and he recalled his time on that slave ship as a time where his faith was being built. And the reason why I bring that up, the reason why that impacts me so is that the Holy Spirit in, in moving and working in this group of people, in these people, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of just ugliness, ugly sin and brokenness, right? They can still see and get and worship God, like that's supernatural. That's not something that we can just try harder at, that we can be better about, to where if you're oppressing me and I'm just going to turn the other cheek naturally. There's something in us because of the sin and brokenness in the world that makes me want to seek vengeance, that makes me want to get revenge on you. And what's so telling is, is a, a read history and have conversations is that so many folks you know, when presented opportunities to do that, they choose not to, right? And I think that's that conviction 
of the Holy Spirit working in them, and they see there's something greater for them. So as we think about the ways in which we worship, the ways we can practice this worship to Jesus, right, as we realize the truth that the Holy Spirit brings and reminds us, that drives us to worship. The truth that we are saved by grace, the truth that we are more than conquerors, the truth that Jesus has defeated death and hell and the grave. So just like what those people would understand, even though they're enslaved physically, they were free spiritually and eternally. Now us, you know, we may not feel that same kind of tie to that part of history, but I would challenge uh, us to think about the ways in which we find ourselves um, enslaved to some of those other masters. And Paul has talked about how we have been set free because of the Spirit of God. Again, we have mentioned that, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and all of these things. That's what should be driving our worship, right? We may not be in, in the fields with the sun beating down and, and the uh, the threat uh, of damage and brokenness of our families. But we could, in, in the middle of the night, feel the anxiety and the stress about continuing to wake up and engage and work and try. And, and man, like the, the Spirit of God helps us in those moments. He meets us in those moments. It reminds us of the truth that we are more we can overcome. We have overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. In doing so, ways to worship, ways to, to pay homage to Jesus. And what I don't want to do is get overly prescriptive here and say this is what it looks like to have true worship. Uh, everybody's jumping and shouting and doing all of that because there are folks who can't jump and there are folks who can't shout, but there are people who are so moved and so radically chasing after Jesus. So what I do want to say is that true worship, true spirit-filled worship is responding to God in light of what he has done for us. I said that earlier. And that's what we want to take away from this is that true worship, true spiritual, spiritual worship is responding to God in light of what he's done for you. He's done for me. As a community, when we get together and we sing and we dance and we praise God to, to walk into the room to prepare our, mar- our hearts and our minds um, with the realities of God moving heaven and earth to get to us, that, that should cause a reaction. Right? And that reaction is going to look different, but it should stir something up. David uh, danced in front of the Lord to the point that people questioned, uh, questioned his humility, questioned his honor. And he said, I will debase myself all the more, right? Because he's dancing for God. He'll embarrass himself all the more because he's dancing for Jesus. It's really hard uh, to, to be moved and just to understand the work of Jesus in our lives and remain cool. Like, it's hard to do that, to look really cool, praise God, because, man, when, when you recognize and realize and get a hold of what Christ has done for you, there's, there's not enough space, there's not enough time. We don't have a schedule where we can just box that in. And that's a lot of what I've experienced as I prepare for this morning, is that, you know, I, I really want to say all the right things. I was talking to somebody this morning, um, uh, about this, and what I realized is that this topic just just moves me and causes me to be uneloquent. Like I, I don't have the right words to say, but what I can tell you is that God is good. 
growing up, my, my mother uh, and, and father would play gospel music in our house all the time. And these songs by Kurt Franklin and, and Vicki Winans and Fred Hammond would constantly remind us of the goodness and the greatness of God. There's a song um, called Worth um, by Anthony Brown. And, and, and just the whole of the song, I get goosebumps thinking about it now, but it's that I was, you know, worth so much that, that Christ came and moved heaven to get to me. And we get to sing that, right? So part of what we can experience in worshiping God and paying homage to him is a reflection of what he's done and what's been good and right um, on behalf of the brokenness of the world. Ultimately, we should be a people marked by worship in response and recognition of what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. This isn't a moment in which we get converted and then there's nothing else to praise God about. They said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The fact that any of us can have joy, the fact that any of us can have peace, the fact that any of us can lament, but then hope, right? There's something special about that. And we can praise God for that. We can cry out to God for that. And we can worship God for that. At the beginning of the sermon, I was uh, quoting the lyrics to a song called Why We Sing by Kurt Franklin. It's one of my favorite songs. And he says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes are on the sparrow. That's the reason why I sing. Glory, hallelujah. You know, the reason why I sing. Glory, hallelujah. You're the reason why I sing. God's the reason why we sing. God's the reason why we should worship. And to get to that point, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit because outside of that, I don't think we would, man. I really don't think we would. Because of the sin and brokenness, it's set up that we wouldn't. It's set up for us to go get ours. And I would hope that this morning as the Spirit is convicting and reminding you of that sin and reminding you that, right, there's truth and redemption and liberation, that you would pay homage to God. And as we come back together, that we can pay homage to God together. And we can worship together. And we not box that in. You know, we give people the space to cry out to God, to celebrate, to sing, um, to praise Him, to make noise. As we think about reopening, as we think about um, getting closer you know, I really do. I pray that we come with a renewed sense of what God has done, that he has brought us this far, that he has kept us. Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, you are so, so good. God, that there are not enough words to describe how good you are. There, there's not enough ways in which we can uh, j- just tell somebody and sing and praise and dance about the how good you are, that that your goodness, your story, your power brings us to our knees, puts us in a place of dependence, makes us needy on you, and that you confound the wise. Lord, as we even think about uh, this morning and this time, Lord, we're just undone. We're undone by you. And I pray for these, your people. Lord, I pray that you would stir in them uh, your spirit, Lord, that you would create in us a new heart, that you would renew a right spirit in us, and out of that, we would worship. We would pay homage to you. We would relinquish the loyalties of our schedules, of comfort, of all those things, looking to hold us back. 
Lord, that we would accept the grace that you have given us, that we would preach the gospel and be reminded uh, that, that we have been forgiven, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. God, we love you. We thank you. Amen.